Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 25. There will be a shift once again in tone and in structure of the Proverbs as we move to the next section of the book of Proverbs, or more Proverbs of Solomon. And we'll talk a little bit about these um, as we begin our sermon today. Our scripture today is Proverbs chapter 25, verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. These are more Proverbs of Solomon copied by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. As the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. Remove the dross from silver and out comes material for the silversmith. Remove the wicked from the king's presence and his throne will be established through righteousness. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before a nobleman. What you have seen with your eyes, do not bring hastily to court, for what will you do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame? If you argue your case with a neighbor, do not betray another man's confidence, or he, will, or he who hears it may shame you, and you will never lose your bad reputation. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Like the coolness of snow at harvest time is a trustworthy messenger to, to those who send him. He refreshes the spirit of his masters. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Let us pray. O oh God, you do receive glory by concealing things. Yet you have revealed yourself to your people. And there are things about you that we cannot know. Help us to see your commandments and your will in this word today. Help us to be consumed by a longing to know you and your word better. Help us to continue to learn and meditate on your word in the midst of a culture that sits and plots against your people. We delight in your word and in your witness in that word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hezekiah was a king that ruled in Judah, the southern kingdom, probably 250 or so years after Solomon. When Hezekiah came to the throne, he took over a nation, a country that was in rebellion against God. Jotham, uh, Hezekiah's grandfather, um, oh, sorry, lost my place there. And we're just at the beginning. Jotham was Hezekiah's grandfather, and we're told that he was mostly righteous, although 2 Chronicles notes um, two things about Jotham. He didn't enter the temple to worship, and the people continued to worship gods other than the one true God of Israel. Following Jotham was Ahaz, who ruled Judah, and the chronicler describes him, the author of, of 1 and 2 Chronicles, describes him as wicked and vile like the kings of the northern kingdom. He actually made idols for the nation of Israel to worship, idols of the Canaanite gods. And the chronicler tells us that Ahaz went so far as to sacrifice his own children to those gods. And this is the situation that Hezekiah enters. 
He enters a nation of people that even when they had their last semi-righteous king still followed and worshipped the, the gods of the nations around them. And he, had, and he followed a king immediately who also worshipped those gods to the point that he sacrificed children to those gods. Apostasy was at an all-time high in Israel. What would Hezekiah do? 2 Kings 18, 5-7 describes Hezekiah in this way. It says, He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. And even though his reign was imperfect, which the author of, the, of Kings, the author of Chronicles and Isaiah highlight for us, Hezekiah did several things during his reign to bring reform to Israel. He reopened the temple and restored Israel's worship. Think about that for a moment. As important as the temple was to the nation of Israel, it had been closed and had not been worshipped in for years. He cleansed the temple of the abominations that had been done on the temple property. He restarted the sacrifice and the sacrificial system. He resumed the music and the assignments of the Levites. He restarted the Passover celebration, that foundational feast and meal that reminded Israel that when judgment fell upon Egypt, that judgment passed over Israel because of the blood of the lamb that was posted on the door lentils. It also had not been celebrated in years. In restarting the Passover, he invited remnants. He invited people from the northern kingdom to come and celebrate. And while most didn't, many did foreshadowing the reunification of God's people through the cross. Hezekiah's reforms also included the people of the nation being moved to tear down their own personal altars and to cleanse the land of its impurity. And Hezekiah restarted the practice of bringing in the temple tithe for the support of the priests and the Levites, as, as well as for a type of emergency assistance fund for the pure of the land. And in our first verse today, Proverbs 25.1, we learn that Hezekiah compiled more of Solomon's wisdom sayings and appended them to the Proverbs that had already been given to Rehoboam and it had been handed down from king to king. God had preserved these Proverbs. God had preserved his word even in the midst of an apostate people. And Hezekiah added these Solomons of Proverbs to sections 10 through 22. Now, these Proverbs are a little bit different than the Proverbs that we have looked at already. They are not addressed directly to the king. They are addressed to the king's courtiers, the king's attendants in his court. And this makes sense that Hezekiah would add them. In verses 4 and 5, Solomon says, says, Remove the dross from silver, and out comes material for the silversmith. Remove the wicked from the king's presence, and his throne will be established through righteousness. It's not always enough to have a righteous king. In order for that kingdom to remain righteous, he needs righteous advisors as well. And so Hezekiah compiles and adds for us a section of Proverbs that are pointed to the advisors to the king so that they will be righteous. And so not only will the king be righteous, but he will have righteous advisors. And maybe then 
the kingdom could be established in righteousness. So today we will look at the first section of these particular proverbs that Hezekiah compiled for the courtiers of the king. And we will see that humility, wise words, and patience are important for us as well as for the advisors to the kings. Firstly, you become valuable to the king through humility. Now, humility is not an attribute that our world sees oftentimes as a strength. We often view humility as a weakness. But God expects us to develop humility in our own lives, especially as we interact with others. If you are appointed to a place of leadership in a monarchy, you are considered important the closer you are in the throne room to the king. The people on the front row would be the most important. The people in the back row would be the least important. And the temptation is to get there just a little bit early and maybe move up a couple rows before anybody gets there and realizes what's going on. But Solomon says there's a problem with that. What if you show up and you've moved forward a little bit more important to a position of a little bit more importance than you truly have? And somebody who belongs in that seat shows up and the king says, hey, you need to move back a little bit further. You are humiliated in the presence of the king. Solomon says it's better to just go ahead and sit on the back row like a good Presbyterian. Go ahead and sit on the back row and wait for the king to move you forward to a place of prominence. And then you are lifted up because of your humility. Now, we're not trying to manipulate our humility. We're not trying to manipulate the system. But through humility, make yourself a little bit lower than you deserve. And the king will exalt you. This is not a problem that was unique to the the court officials during Solomon's time or Hezekiah's time. Apparently, it was a problem that the disciples and the Pharisees had as well during Jesus' time. Because in Luke 14, 8 through 11, as he's talking to some of these Pharisees, Jesus gives a parable. And the parable is about a feast. And it's about a person who comes to the feast and sits as close to the head of the table as he possibly can. Jesus says, beware, because you may be humiliated and asked to sit farther away from the host of the feast. So sit at the far away place so that the host of the feast will bring you forward, will lift you up, will heap honor upon you rather than humiliation. We live in a dog-eat-dog world. We live in a world that sees power and prominence and prestige as things to seek for. We preach a message of humility and being humble. We work behind the scenes. The temptation, though, is to be in front of everybody and to lift ourselves up, and that is a path to humiliation. Instead, humility leads to prominence in the kingdom of God. We grow in our value to God and to his people through our humility. We also grow in our value through wise words. A court advisor would be valuable to the king through giving of wise advice and wise words. The king has the task of searching out truth and the wisdom of the matters that they were called 
to handle. We've talked before about how the king is both um, executive, legislative, and judicial branch of the government. All of it fell upon him. So if you had a case that needed to be tried, you didn't go to the court. You didn't go to the clerk and fill out paperwork. You went to the king. And the king would hear the witnesses. The king would hear the accuser. The king would take all the facts in and would try to discern the truth of the matter. The king's role, the king's glory comes through seeking out the depths of wisdom. Now, as an aside, Solomon says that God gets his glory through his incomprehensibility. It's the truth that while we can know him and about him, we cannot know him fully. While God gets glory in his incomprehensibility, the the king gets glory by uncovering hidden mysteries. Don't take God's incomprehensibility as an excuse not to study the deep things of God. God gets glory when we do uncover some of those depths. We will spend eternity seeking to plumb the depths of God's grace in comparison to our sin. The angels now, we are told, await the time when they can see us seek to plumb the everlasting depths of God's grace and God's love and God's mercy. We will spend eternity doing that and we should start now seeking to know more about God, seeking to to learn more about his love and his grace. But back to the king who gets glory from uncovering the matter. God doesn't leave the king alone in his search for the answers. Solomon reminds us of the joy of wise advisors in verses 11 through 14. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. The The picture here is one of two things. It's either a a pretty silver necklace with with dangly gold apples or pomegranates hanging from it. Or it could even be a a, a basket that a silversmith has made out of silver. And you know the plastic fruit baskets that people oftentimes have on their table for decoration? You know that you're sometimes tempted when you're a kid to go grab it and take a bite. Your parents are going, don't do that. Picture the same thing, but made out of silver and instead of plastic apples, you have gold apples. It's a glorious decoration on the king's table. And the words, the advice, even the rebuke of a wise advisor are like those things. In the negative, we have this example of of like clouds and wind without rain as a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. Over the last couple weeks, we had a very, very dry spell. Um, After that huge rain we had almost a month ago, we've been dry until this week. But there were a couple days this week, I was talking to Bruce on Wednesday night, to where there he is up on his farm that desperately needed rain. And there was wind and there was thunder and there were rain clouds and, and they just went away. With nothing until Friday night. He did get a, a good rain on Friday night up there on his farm and all's good. But, but an advisor who promised that he has gifts of wisdom is like that storm that never happened when you desperately need rain. But an advisor that brings wise words is, is like the, the cool, refreshing snow on a harvest day. Now, you, you don't want it to actually snow on your harvest. That's 
difficult and that's disastrous. But in Israel, the the mountains of Lebanon would have snow upon them for a long period of time. And in the heat of summer, men would go up. They would collect the snow and they'd bring it down and put it in in ice houses so that in the middle of a hot day of harvesting your crops, you could have a little bit of ice water to drink and just be a little bit of refreshment in the midst of the day. That's what wise words are to a king. They're beautiful ornaments. They're the the nice tall glass of iced tea on a hot day. We are called to bring wise words into our lives, into our churches, into our culture. Words that bring life, words that bring restoration with God, words that bring healing to a dying nation. We show our value through bringing of wise words. And the third thing that Solomon points out here is that we show value through patience as well. Our our last verse talks about difficult things that patience can do. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. You ever tried to persuade somebody in power through brute force? Maybe brute verbal force? While the adage is true, a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion. Still, it seems to go double for people in power. Once they have the power, they don't want to give it up. But it takes a patient word. A gentle tongue, it says, can break a bone. Now, you know, none of us in here have ever broken somebody's bone just by saying soft, quiet words to them. This is poetic language. This is hyperbole. Impossible things can be done with a gentle word. Oftentimes we seek to to share the glory of restoration with God through Jesus and the cross with other people. And we have a tendency to want to bowl them over with powerful and persuasive words. Oftentimes it's the gentle word that God will use to soften the heart. Oftentimes it's the patience of giving those gentle words over and over and over again, sometimes over the course of years. Sometimes over the course of such a long period of time that we ourselves don't see the benefit of all the words we spoke. Other people reap the harvest. But God uses a gentle and a soft word to change the lives of people. And so we are called to patience. We are called to a slow, plodding walk with God. Solomon applies this to interpersonal relationships in the negative and in the last line of verse seven through verse 10, he says, what you have seen with your eyes, do not bring hastily to court. For what will you do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame? If you argue your case with a neighbor, do not betray another man's confidence. Or he who hears it may shame you and you will never lose your bad reputation. The picture here is somebody who has committed an offense against you, who has made you angry. What's our tendency when we're angry? I want restitution now, and I will do anything I can to show the world how horrible a person that is that made me angry. Solomon says, be careful. 
Don't be too hasty in that. Slow down just a little bit. Take some time. Think about it. Well, what do we have to think about? I'm angry. That's all that matters. No, think about that maybe you might have had something to do with that. What did you contribute? There's always two sides to an episode like that. What did you contribute? Am I at fault for any reason? Am I overreacting to really a a small slight that I can overlook and forgive and just move on with my life? Take time to pray. Take time to think about what are the consequences of my rash actions. Take time to read the scripture and, and to dig out God's wisdom for the situation. Brothers and sisters, oftentimes when we react in the heat of the moment against an offense done against us, our one of our temptations is to twist the truth to make us look innocent and the other person look vilely guilty. Scripture has a word for that. It's called gossip. And Solomon says, beware of doing that. Beware of doing this openly and in a way that twists the truth to your favor because you may be the one that ends up with the permanent bad reputation. You ever been caught in a gossip, in a lie? You know how long it takes to get that off of your reputation, even if you never say an untruthful or gossipy word again? Solomon says, beware of that. In your pursuit of 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 walking with the king, we must be patient. It's part of dying to ourselves. We can be angry about things that are that we are completely and, and perfectly just in being angry over. But sometimes we need to set aside our own right to retribution, to revenge to seek God's glory and to show his grace and maybe change that person through the soft, through the gentle word. Think about Stephen in Acts chapter 8, 7 and 8. Here is Stephen. He has just been made a deacon of the church and he's proclaiming the good news of the gospel to people who saw Jesus on the cross more than likely. They arrest him. And they take him to trial and he gives a list of all the reasons that God has for judging the nation. And he says, but God sent you Jesus to stand in the gap between you and God and to offer restoration, to offer reconciliation, to offer forgiveness and salvation from the wrath that you deserve. And they got angry. And they took him outside and they started stoning him. And what was his response? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Words that he had at least heard of. That the son, the one who died for salvation, gave from the cross. Yes, Jesus could have called down legions of angels. Those people who insulted him were absolutely right. And yet he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We die to ourselves when we show patience 
even in the midst of attack. We show that we set aside our own wants and desires and seek the grace and glory of God when we are willing to stop and to think and to dig out the wisdom of a situation. Cultures have been changed. Countries have been changed. Empires have been changed by the patient work of the gospel. We grow in our value through patience. As we mentioned, Hezekiah understood that for the king to keep righteous, he needed righteous advisors. Just like silver is valuable and useful once the impurities are removed, so a king and a kingdom is established in righteousness when his advisors are righteous. Same goes for church and for the people who make up the church. We must seek friends and leaders, pastors and elders and deacons who are righteous, who exhibit humility, wisdom, and patience. And we find those people as we pursue those things ourselves in our everyday life. Be humble, be wise, be patient in the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you that you have changed our hearts so that we desire humility, we desire wisdom, we desire patience. Grow each of those within us. Help us to see who we are before you and so act humbly. Help us to, to, to find glory in digging out the hidden treasures of your word and so become wise. And help us die to ourselves. And in that way, become patient so that we might honor and glorify you in all that we do. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. As we go today, take this blessing from Paul with you. The Lord will rescue you from every evil deed and bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. And as we await the fullness of that rescue and the final defeat of every evil deed, we cry out to God, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.